Hello, and welcome to the PathMig Psychiatry for Primary Care podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is Whitney Landa, Director of Education and Psychiatrist in our Palo Alto location. Today, we're going to walk through sertraline, brand name Zoloft, and really do a deep dive and try to answer all the questions you've ever had about this medicine. Zoloft is one of our most commonly prescribed SSRIs though it also is a mild reuptake inhibitor of dopamine as well as serotonin. So it's not purely serotonergic. It is very effective for all um, depression and anxiety disorders, FDA approved for MDD, PMDD, panic, PTSD, social anxiety, and OCD, but really you can broadly use it across depression and anxiety and it's very effective and one of our first-line medications. I do usually start sertraline a little gingerly because it has a higher likelihood of causing GI upset for people, and I find that doing a couple days at a half dose usually mitigates that and helps them get onto the medicine more successfully. So in an adult, I'll have them start at 25 milligrams for a few days and then go up as they tolerate to 50 milligrams, which is our target starting dose on the adult side. For an older child or a teen, I'll have them start at 12.5 for a week to mitigate side effects and then go up to 25. For a small child, I'll start at 12.5. If they tend to be really sensitive, I'll tell the parents to try to quarter it or we'll go to liquid for a little bit to help them get onto the medicine. Um, Unfortunately, It's quite hard to quarter Zoloft. Um, It's scored to make it easy to have, but not to quarter. So typically, if you have to go below 12.5, the oral solution is the best strategy for that. And by the way, for those of you treating children, the oral solution has been described to me as vile, actually vile. It's very bitter. So if you're working with a young child who can't swallow pills, it's actually better to crush the Zoloft tablet and mix it in with you know, peanut butter or Nutella if their parents are willing, uh, rather than use the oral solution because it does taste quite bad. The other reason you might wanna start slowly and go up slowly is for patients with a lot of anxiety or maybe an agitated depression because anything that increases serotonin at the beginning can cause a little bit of activation or make them feel a little bit worse in those categories and starting sort of low and slow will medicate that as well. If you start any medicine, but you know, since we're speaking about Zoloft and you get a side effect, you can always have them bump it back down for a week or two. That way it just helps mitigate that side effect and they can go back up once they're tolerating it better. The other population you of course wanna be careful in is the geriatric population. They're more prone to side effects, especially the SIADH. So we do go low and slow in geriatrics, as always. Other side effects to warn the patients about, but not necessarily to slow down the titration for, are dry mouth, vivid dreams. It doesn't change their dreams, but it might make them remember them better, which can be trippy because dreams are weird um, and can freak patients out. Most patients love that side effect and they're really sad when it goes away, but some people are disturbed by it. The dry mouth can affect your teeth enamel, so it's actually quite a big deal. If they get a severe dry mouth, you want to make sure that they're sipping lots of water. Um, It's typically a weight-neutral medication, but some people do gain a lot of weight with it, so I do mention that to people. 
Another big one is sweating, especially night sweats, and the sexual side effects, which you know people are always worried about, and they do happen about half of people. They're typically mild, maybe a little bit of decreased libido, but I've had people get them more severely where they have zero libido or they can't orgasm or they developed erectile dysfunction. So they can be pretty severe. And I just tell people up front, if you get any side effect, it should happen in the first two weeks. SSRIs don't tend to be sneaky with side effects where you develop it months later. It's usually the first two weeks and then they do go away. But if they're very severe in those first two weeks, they may not go away or it may take a very long time. So go ahead and stop it at that early stage and we'll try something else. Never take a medicine you hate, just stop it. We have lots and lots of options. The other side effect that gets a lot of press is the black box warning, which is around suicidal thoughts in kids and adolescents all the way up to age 25. And I do consent to people around this side effect, but I try to be reassuring it's a less than 1% chance. And what it is is more of an intrusive thought about suicide. It doesn't increase the risk of suicidal actions, and that's been shown in multiple studies. So what I tell people is, if you get this very rare, rare side effect, you'll find yourself thinking about suicide, but not necessarily about you killing yourself. And if the person already has suicidal thoughts, I'll let them know this will not feel like your normal suicidal thought. It will feel different. And if you get it and you're disturbed by it, go ahead and stop the medicine and let me know. But I'm very reassuring around the black box warning because, again, it's never been shown to increase suicidal actions. And it really seems to be more of an intrusive thought rather than someone really thinking about suicide in the way we think about suicidal ideation where we really worry about it. We do want to screen carefully, though, and mitigate that risk. So in kids and teens, we start low and slow. And you noticed for adults, I said, you know, started that low dose for a couple days. And in kids and teens, I said for a week. And that is to mitigate side effects to a greater extent, especially this side effect, which we definitely don't want kids to get because it really scares them, scares their parents. And you'll want to see those kids back in two weeks just to check in and do a safety screen, make sure they're okay, they're tolerating the medicine well. But standard of care really is a two-week check-in. It's also good timing because if you get a strong early response in that two-week period of time, you know that you very likely do not need to increase the medicine. So most likely, they'll have a nice response at a low dose. Now, sometimes that's not true. Sometimes it's a really a placebo response and we see it sort of taper out and fade off. So when we get to that four-week check-in, they say, oh, it worked super well in those first two weeks and now it's not working anymore. And you know, okay, well, that was probably a placebo. And some of them say, yeah, I started to feel it kick in around two weeks, but it really hasn't increased in efficacy. So we would increase the dose as well. But you're going to get that subset of kids where they're like, wow, it kicked in at two weeks and it just built and now it's working pretty well and I really like it. In which case, you're going to leave the dose wherever it is. For adults, we never expect that two-week um, start to break through in symptoms. Every once in a while you see it, but predominantly if they get an effect that quickly, it's going to be a placebo effect. We're really expecting a primary effect of the medicine to happen in about four to six weeks. So I always do a lot of psychoed around that with patients at the beginning, that we don't expect it to do anything at first, and they still have to take it every single day, about the same time every day for it to work, even though it won't do anything for a very long time. 
and there's nothing we can do to speed this up. So going up higher on the dose doesn't speed that up. There's nothing we can do. So I just want them to take it at the prescribed dose for the four to six week period of time or two to four weeks if it's a child or adolescent. So let's say you start sertraline and you've got an adult at 50 milligrams, you check in six weeks later and they say, I'm tolerating it, it's fine, but it really hasn't done anything. I don't feel any different. So in adult, I would go ahead and increase them to 100 milligrams. And in adults, I tend to increase by 50 milligrams at a time. Kids 25 to 50, depending on the age of the kid and the severity of the depression. Um, little kids always by 12.5 to 25 at a time. Older teens, really closer to adults, especially if it's severe. Um, sorry not to give you more exact numbers, but it really depends on the kid and the age. And um, then I leave it again for that full four to six week window because we know that's true for any given dose. So it's not like, oh, well, you've already been on 50 for a while, so 100 will work faster. It really needs time to do its thing. So let's say they come in 12 weeks after you started it. So you've done 50 for six weeks. It didn't seem to work. So now we're at 12 weeks, uh, six weeks at 100 milligrams, and they still say it's not doing anything. We'll go ahead and stop the medicine because it's probably not going to do anything. Um, don't just take their one word for it. So if they say, oh, it hasn't done anything, I'll say, oh, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, let's still check in on how your depression or anxiety is. To, how are things going right now? Because a lot of times, because SSRIs work so slowly, it's like a drop in a bucket over time. So you don't notice the water level increasing until you, you've, you know, sort of compared to really where you were a month before. And then since we don't see them every day, we can say very clearly, oh, well, you know, your bucket was empty a month ago and now you have four inches of water, whereas they're still thinking, well, my bucket's still pretty empty. So um, to flip that analogy into real life, it's sort of more like, they're like, well, I'm still really anxious. And it's like, okay, well, are there any things you've tried to do recently that you wouldn't normally be able to do or they were a little bit better? How are your stressors going? And as they talk, they realize, oh my gosh, I'm actually getting out of the house more. I'm getting up out of bed and I'm showering. I'm still really depressed, but the, there are these big gains. So definitely never just take the flat out. It's not working. Still ask them about how things are going because you might find that that was that subtle buildup. So they're not noticing it. Um, in the moment as much. But if you check in with them and they're really like, nope, same, 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 everything's the same, go ahead and stop the medicine and start something else. If you get that kind of partial benefit where you're seeing some improvement and you keep going up, the FDA max approved dose is 200 milligrams. Now for people with really severe anxiety or OCD, we might push that dose up higher. Um, if they're really needing to go above 250 milligrams, you're really sort of looking at risk benefit in terms of side effects. Like as you increase the dose, the risks of side effects go up and they tend to start getting side effects. So unless we're really seeing a strong clinical benefit, I'll switch medicines at that point. And if we've got a partial benefit, so they say, oh, it definitely helped, but I'm still severely depressed. But like, let's say they're getting out of bed, they're showering, they're going to school with their kid but they're still really depressed. And then I'll do a cross titration. I won't just stop the medicine. So what that might look at is 
So between 100 milligrams of Zoloft and 150, there was really no difference. I'll take them back to 100 and start 10 of Prozac or 5 of Lexapro. Um, there will be future podcasts on how to exactly start those medicines and what makes those different from sertraline or another SSRI. So stay tuned for those. But that is what I would do. And I would cross titrate because that Prozac 10 or that Prozac 20 is still going to take four to six weeks to work. So I'm going to have them hang out at 100 milligrams of Zoloft to maintain that partial benefit while we're waiting to see if Prozac, Lexapro, any other medicine starts to work because I don't want them to relapse back into that super severe baseline level they were at prior to that partial efficacy they got from the Zoloft. And if we're in that situation where we had a partial efficacy, you're going to want to taper the Zoloft slowly as you increase the dose of that other medicine that's working better. So I kind of go slowly as I increase the other medicine. So dropping it by 25 or 50 milligrams every few weeks to really slowly taper them off to keep them from relapsing into that severe place. If Zoloft did nothing, I just go ahead and stop it. I'll have them go down by 50 milligrams every five or six days. If, as I said, they get SSRI withdrawal, which is sort of flu-like symptoms, brain zaps, they just might feel tired or foggy, I'll slow that down and I just give them full control and say, okay, here's 25 milligram tablets, go down as tolerated till you're off. Um, so if you go down and you start to feel withdrawal, go back up by 12.5, wait another week and try again. And let's say they've been on Zoloft doing really well for you know, a period of time and they ask you about tapering off and say, do I really need to be on this medicine forever? Well, the answer is maybe. So it depends if it's an adult and they've had one episode of major depression, you can taper them off after they've been doing well for a year, and that would be sort of standard practice. Um, but a year doing well gives them the best chance of not needing the medicine again. So that's what I tell them. And if there's no side effect and they're tolerating it well, I really push them for the full 12 months because it does give them the best long-term outcome. Though there's some evidence that six months could be sufficient, now, if it's anxiety or they've had two or more episodes of major depression, I try to encourage them to stay on the medicine because it's really going to prevent future episodes and the risk of having a third, a fourth episode of major depression or for the relapse of the anxiety in an adult is high enough that it doesn't make sense to go off the medicine. Also, they don't always work again the second time. So sometimes if you taper off of an SSRI, when they try it again a year or two later, it just doesn't work. And I tell people, it's I, you know, if you're tolerating the medicine well, there's no side effects. I don't know that that's worth it personally. Um, but of course, if they're really strongly invested in tapering off and they want to try it, I'll do it. I just do it really slowly because, again, with anxiety, we sort of expect that relapse. With depression, we can get a relapse. And so the slower the taper, the more likely you are to catch it and then be able to go up in time to prevent a full relapse and to make sure that that medicine continues to work for them. It can still stop working for them. We call that a coup out effect when they've been on it for several years and it just stops working. The first step there is to increase the dose and then if that doesn't work to switch. But for the most part, they continue to work over many years and we have safety data out 
30, 40 years on these medicines, so lot included. So there's really no reason for most people not to stay on them. Now, for teens and kids, that's a different story because teens have very plastic dynamic brains, and so they can do a lot of things adults can't. So no matter what the diagnosis is, I will try to taper kids at least to a lower dose 12 months after they've been in remission. So no trouble with anxiety, no trouble with depression whatsoever. And again, I really push parents to do that full 12 months because that really does give us the best chance, even with kids, at coming off the medicine and not needing it again. And I tell parents the goal is long-term. The goal is that they never become depressed again or their anxiety never gets this severe again. So we want to be really cautious, make sure they have that full 12 months. The analogy I like to give is of road construction. So I like to say, unlike the state of California, kids are quite good at moving their roads around. So if the anxiety pathway has been built up into like a 101 and we really want cars directed through El Camino when we drive up to the city, the medicine will force that change. And kids are much better at that road construction and building up El Camino into a freeway so that it won't shift back when the medicine isn't forcing the traffic flow the way we want it to be. Um, whereas with adults, our road construction is a little shoddy and it will most likely revert back to that prior pathway. And people like that analogy. It sort of makes sense to them. It's obviously not exactly accurate, um, but it's a good one for them. And we talk about, you know, just giving the time for that construction to really cement in those new roads. Um, and it, it helps people understand the process and what we're going for. So there are some situations in which we're going to be cautious about using an SSRI and the big psychiatric one is bipolar disorder. So if someone has bipolar one, you're going to be very, very cautious about using an SSRI. They need to be on some serious mood stabilization first, lithium, a higher dose of an atypical antipsychotic, something like that. Um, so if you're thinking about doing that, I'd recommend doing that e-consult for psychiatry to get some advice about it beforehand. Unless you feel really confident in your care with bipolar 1 disorder. Now with bipolar 2, that's different. You can go ahead and use sertraline unopposed. You don't need to have a mood stabilizer on board as well, but you're going to want to make sure it really is bipolar 2. If it's a more severe bipolar 2, where it sort of is right on that border with bipolar 1, I'm also more cautious and pharmacologically try to treat it more like bipolar 1. But if it's a very mild bipolar 2, really manageable hypomanias, there's no reason you can't go ahead and use sertraline. Now, let's say they're doing great on sertraline, there was no problem starting it, works great, but they're having side effects. So, like I said, with SSRIs, including sertraline, side effects peak at the beginning, they get more and more mild with time. So if it's tolerable and the medicine works great, we sort of talk risk-benefit, like that's that individual patient's decision. They might find a side effect worth it for the benefit of a medicine that I would never consider tolerable um, or vice versa. So it's their decision. But in general, I try to switch them to a different SSRI or SNRI, something else that works on serotonin, since we saw that the serotonin reuptake inhibition was effective for them. Now there's some side effects that we're more commonly going to treat with another pharmacologic agent. It's not my favorite thing to add a medicine to treat a side effect, but sometimes of course we have to do that. 
So for sexual side effects, I will often add Welbutrin or Bupropion or Buspar. Buspirone can work nicely as well. Um, if they have a lot of night sweating, especially people with OCD where they need to be at those high, high doses, if the medicine otherwise works great, I'll add a little oxybutynin at night, just instant release, um, to help them with the sweating. If it's causing insomnia or sedation, I'm first going to work with the timing on the medicine. And it may not make a lot of sense, say, if a morning medicine causes insomnia, why moving it to nighttime will sometimes help. But sometimes it really does, and it takes care of the problem, and we didn't need to do any you know, additional medicine or changing. Um, but if it doesn't, and they still have insomnia, I try to stick with things like trazodone, ritazapine, hydroxyzine, or gabapentin, definitely avoiding those benzos, things that are going to lead to addiction, tolerance, or other problems down the road. Um, and then, again, just keeping in mind that, especially if they've been through several medication trials, if something's working super well and trazodone takes care of the insomnia, we know that over time that's going to get better and better and they won't need trazodone forever. So depending on the patient, on the exact clinical scenario, sometimes they will do that. So this wraps up our deep dive into Zoloft or sertraline. I hope that this answered all your questions about this very helpful and frontline medication. And I hope everyone has a great day.